Hello, Managing Madrid listeners. This is your host, Kian Subani. In a moment, I'm going to be joined by Alex Goldberg, Supreme Chelsea fan, Supreme Hazard fan, journalist covering Chelsea, uh, and also podcast host of The Byline, which we'll talk about on the podcast. He's joining me to talk about Hazard's fit at Real Madrid, what he's done at Chelsea this season, what's going on with Kovacic and other things. Um, we take a deep dive into kind of the best roles of Kovacic, Hazard, how he can coexist with Vinicius and Benzema and so forth. Really fun conversation. Just wanted to also say, because this is the first podcast we're recording since the Casillas news broke out, that our hearts, prayers, thoughts, everything is with Saniker. Um, Such a class act. Greatest goalkeeper in La Liga history. Uh, one of the top five, in my opinion, in his position of all time, and just a class human being. And uh, we wish him all the best. I'm glad to hear that he's recovered. Chances are he's not going to play football again, but that's a, a trade you make for a healthy life and a secure life and being able to spend time with his loved ones. It's it's a risk that uh, he he just can't take. And at this stage of his career, we're just happy for him to to be healthy, get get well, recover, and. Uh, and, and stay safe. Some housekeeping stuff. No patron uh, mailbag this week, basically because I'm taking the mailbag questions into a written form, and I'm almost done. It should be up uh, some point today, which is Friday, May 3rd, and I pretty much squeezed in all the patron questions for the mailbag that I possibly could have. So if you asked a question on Patreon, chances are it's going to be in the written mailbag released today. And... Uh, Hope that you enjoyed the live Manager Madrid podcast in San Francisco, our first ever in front of a live audience. It was a lot of fun, some really good feedback on it, some things we learned to do, not to do for next time, which is probably going to be in New York sometime in May. We'll keep you posted on that. Um, yeah, but we're we're really looking to rev up the live podcast and do some tours in Miami. But we're also we're also contemplating the idea of coming out to 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 Asia. I'll just leave it there. I won't I won't give you any more hints, but we're open to it. If you're listening to this and you're a Pena member in your respective city, get in touch with us through Patreon uh, or Twitter, and uh, we'll see if we can make it work. All right, without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid Podcast, Friday edition to talk about Hazard, Kovacic, and Courtois, and other things with Alex Goldberg. Here we go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. Hello and welcome to a bonus edition of the Managing Madrid Podcast. This is your host, Kian Sabani. It is Friday, May 3rd. And on this very special episode, we have Alex Goldberg, producer um, and uh, podcast host and also YouTube channel, The Byline. Very Chelsea-focused, but also dives into other football topics. Um, and also producer and co-host of the Calcio Land Pod with David Amoyo. So, Alex, welcome to the show for the second time. Ah, Keon, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You were on at the beginning of the season. I don't know if it was beginning of the season or right before, but mm-hmm. we talked about Courtois, we talked about Hazard, and we talked about Kovacic, and now fast forward to the end of the season almost, and we're going to talk about Courtois, 
Kovacic and Hazard, so nothing's changed. <laughs> That's you're damn right. I mean, it seems like you and I were saying off air that we've been linked these two clubs, even though they play far apart and in different leagues. They've kind of been linked all year and even last summer and this summer together again. So why not? Well, and I, I'm kind. I'm really glad that everything, the way you and I connected, was perfect and very timely for me anyway. Because when I came on the the Calcio Land Pod, that's how I met you. And uh, and it turns out I really needed a Chelsea guy to follow for the year, and you huh. you became the Chelsea guy. And and for someone who really up until this point was a casual Chelsea observer, I went from that to watching a lot of Chelsea games because Matt Wilty and I, another Manager Madrid uh, podcast host, we watch Chelsea weekly to cover Kovacic. Now, like it's been like a few months now that we have really nothing to say about Kovacic because he has he hasn't been playing as much. But mm-hmm. um, early on, that was obviously different. I'm also curious to know if if you go back to the beginning of the season, because um, I remember like the first few games Kovacic played. You seem to be impressed with him, and then over time, it seemed like Sarri's system had a few kinks that that also seem to be a bit better now. They, he's kind of figured things out. But where is how much has your assessment on Kovacic changed from the beginning of the season till now? I mean, I think it's changed not a lot, but it certainly has changed. I mean, it certainly has because at the start of the season, I won't lie, I remember Eden Hazard and Mateo Kovacic weren't fully fit yet enough to start those first couple games, especially that first game, if I remember correctly. So they both came off the bench together and they had incredible chemistry in that first game off the bench together. And something that Chelsea fans over Eden Hazard's seven seasons at the club have been really like yearning for has been Another player, a midfielder especially, that can kind of link up and think similarly to Eden Hazard. And Hmm. it looked like Kovacic with his saucy dribbles and just his kind of inner confidence when he's on the pitch. It looked like Kovacic could kind of be that guy. And yeah, his chemistry with Hazard was kind of hit or miss even over those first couple months. When, by the way, Chelsea were playing great football and, and there really were no problems with Chelsea Kovacic was proving to be a polished midfielder, like he should be, like he kind of came as advertised. Someone who has played a lot for Inter, has not played as much for Real Madrid, but still played in some important games, as you know, and been a player for Croatia here and there. So, I mean, he definitely was good. He was good. And I'll tell you, Keon, from obviously all the Chelsea people I follow and that follow me, I mean, he was so steady. I think that's the way to put him just steady like you were get you knew what you were getting with him you you were getting someone who would be crisp with passes good with dribbles give you some intensity kind of have a little bit of edge when he was going in for a tackle and considering all the other Chelsea players that were kind of wishy-washy and very inconsistent there were a lot of Chelsea fans who were saying like oh my god how how can we not try and make this deal permanent i mean it's a no-brainer yeah. and then as the season progresses especially once Chelsea starts struggling I think Kovacic's flaws, or flaws is a weird word to say, actually, because I think it's just more Kovacic's inefficiencies, the, the things he can't do, which is really score and assist. I mean, really, he, he's a good passer, but it's funny, he can't really assist. He, he, he kind of gets nervous in the final third with his end product, whether it's shooting or uh, assisting. And I, I think it just became abundantly clear, and you mentioned Sari's system, that, okay, Kovacic is a good player. 
But it's really tough to just put him in at left center mid or even right center mid in Maurizio Sarri's system because that position just has to have a little bit, just a little bit more end product, especially based on the other players in the Chelsea team. So, Keon, it wasn't really all Kovacic's fault, but when you have the striker issue that Chelsea have, it was first Morata and then Giroud's been great in Europa, but he can't score in the Premier League, and Higuain hasn't been very good. And then you have Willian and Pedro, who really are not great goal scorers. I mean, Pedro's okay, but because of all of those inefficiencies around Kovacic, his own inefficiencies really became that much more of a problem. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so to really answer this question in a long-winded way, my assessment of Kovacic now is, all right, well, he's still a good midfielder. He's a good midfielder, but is he a good fit in Chelsea's team? I'm really not sure. I think his best performances for Chelsea have actually come when he's been filling in in the Regista role for Jorginho. And yeah, it's been against lower competition, but, uh, and I think Real Madrid fans can admit that some of Kovacic's best performances have been when he actually plays further in the midfield. And I think that's because he's actually a lot better at linking the defense to the midfield than he is at linking the midfield to the attack. And really the last reason why I think the perception of Kovacic has been, been changed or maybe warped is Ruben Loftus-Cheek is clearly clearly one of Chelsea's best players and clearly the more appropriate player at left center mid. So there's there's so much there. I was like taking notes frantically as you were speaking <clears throat> about things I wanted to touch on. The the role of the, his best position, you're absolutely right. It's it's not it's it's more between linking the the defense to the midfield and kind of binding a little bit of the offense but not being the main guy who who strings things together as like a, you know, let's say like a number 10 or something. He's not that guy with the incisive pass or the the dagger shot. Like there are there are deeper players than him who can arrive at the top of the box and shoot. You know, Casemiro being one of them. Uh-huh, you uh-huh. you you go back to Kovacic at Inter. This was always something about him that he just he couldn't he couldn't shoot. He either didn't want to, or when he did, it was it just wasn't polished enough nearly. And you fast forward his career a few years, and and he hasn't added that to his game yet. There was nope. that one. Uh, and, and some of his better performances for Real Madrid have been in a double pivot where yep. he plays as one of the when he's not the guy who's he's not the guy who's the one pulling strings. You know, Modric was a very capable box to box player and uh, he did so much offensively. But the team also had Isco. The team also had really good attacking midfielders. Um, he overlapped with multiple attacking midfielders in his day at Real Madrid. But also like he was very good from an attacking perspective. He was a good passer. And uh, he was a very good ball carrier. Like, he could get you from defense to attack just by carrying the ball 40 yards within, like, 10 seconds. And and he could get you into defense from attack really quickly. But he was then he would just pass it along and then the attack would move on. There were times when I would watch him at Chelsea where he would have that chance to do that. And I think over time with him, he kind of just lost some of his swagger and confidence. I don't know if you'd agree, but it seemed mm-hmm. like there were times where he had that ability there was like open space in front of him and he would just pull the ball back and pass it to Jorginho and then it would just reset. I don't know if you remember, Alex, it was that, I don't know, now I don't remember who it was against. There was that one assist that Kovacic had to Hazard early on. Yep, yep. And uh, we looked at that and we're like, that's awesome. That Like, that's what Chelsea needed because when we watched Chelsea, and in a lot of ways we felt like, we kind of felt your pain because it was a lot of the problems that Real Madrid had under Lopetegui at the beginning of the season. A lot of possession and not much incisiveness. And uh, and that that Kovacic ball, we were like kind of excited about it because we were like, 
if that's something they can consistently do with him, then that changes things. Yeah, totally. And I think what Kovacic suffered from, and I remember that it assists perfectly, it was it was more on the daring side. You say incisive. It absolutely was. Yeah. It was progressive. But I think what he suffered from for much of the season is what Ross Barkley also suffered from, even though they're not the same player, is Maurizio Sarri's system, just as you said, a lot of possession-based. So it's a lot of sideways passing. It's a lot of triangular passing. It's a lot of, if it's not there, just keep possession. So I think when push came to shove with Kovacic and Barkley, they both played it safe much too much. And that's okay if you have other really good dynamic star attackers around you. But at a certain point, I think it was on Kovacic to understand I need to be more daring. And I also think it was on Maurizio Sarri to say, hey, all right, fine. We have 65% possession anyway. If Azard makes that nice little run or if Murata or whoever it is makes a nice little run and you think you can deliver it, deliver it. We'll get possession back. We'll get, you know, no problem. Um, So I think, you know, I said this about Barkley and I feel this about Kovacic too. I almost feel like they learned Maurizio Sarri's system too well. They did their homework too well. And you look at someone like Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Loftus-Cheek to his credit, he had to learn maybe the aspect that Kovacic already has down, defensive and more tactical side of things. But when it comes to the attacking side of things, Loftus-Cheek is going to be Loftus-Cheek. He's going to take the chances. He's going to be more daring. He's going to be more dynamic. And I I just almost credit to him that he understands the system well enough to get the start, but he also understands what makes him him. And I think Kovacic, first of all, I mean, we've both said it. He's not playing at left center mid in his best position for sure. But I still think it's weird, Keon, because you look at Kovacic, shouldn't he be able to do just a little bit better in the final third? Because He's a good footballer. You know, yeah. he's a good footballer. And it's so weird. You know, you, you talk about him at Inter. It's so weird that he actually scored five goals in one season because he, he looks incapable uh, like of scoring. I mean, allergic to scoring. He hasn't scored in two years. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because the ball comes off his foot pretty well in the middle of the pitch. And when, when he's anywhere else on the pitch, and I even heard in, in training, he's not bad at free kicks. So it's like, why, why can he not? do better in the final third I don't know but you know getting to back to what you said yeah I think he just became a victim of the system uh you brought up uh Ruben Loftus-Cheek which I think I mean it's inevitable that we talk about him at some point because he's just been too good to ignore um I remember tweeting as kind of like a half joke maybe 75 percent a joke like midway through the season when Kovacic I think was benched a couple times. I think one of them was due to rest because there was a there was a Europa League game or something. And uh, and I said Kovacic left Real Madrid to be in Ross Barkley's shadow. A lot of people like kind of took it seriously, but then like I you fast forward and I'm like you know what it was kind of now it's kind of actually true because now he's like because so this is one thing that we didn't get Alex when we were watching Chelsea so much was I get that Sorry wanted to put Barkley there for offensive reasons. Uh, in a team that, you know, Jorginho plays deep, he's a brilliant passer, uh, can do a lot, but he also was relying on really good cutting runs and some good outlet and some good movement, which Chelsea didn't seem to have early on. And and Kante, as good as he is, is a, getting forward, and I think he's gotten better at the role. He's still You still need that one guy who can really create in midfield from a higher position. I just didn't think it was ever Barkley. I never thought that... 
what he brought to the table trumped what Kovacic did in that sense, even though he's a bit better offensive because he he just he seemed to be a, a bit of a disaster most times he played. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Loftus-Cheek, I get. Loftus-Cheek should be there starting every game. Um, and to me, that's kind of what changed and Chelsea are more watchable now, if you ask me. Callum Hudson-Odoi, obviously, too, the, those two together uh, make Chelsea so much more dynamic and fun to watch and their talent and their ability to dribble in tight spaces is really fun. But um, I didn't get the Barkley thing. And uh, I, I just don't know if what he brought to the table, even from an offensive perspective, trumped what Kovacic brought. Yeah, I don't disagree. And listen, Barkley has more goals and assists to his name this season, of course. But that's more about Kovacic not being able to really do any of that yeah. rather than Barkley being extraordinary at it. Sure, at Everton, Barkley was starting to look like he could be that midfielder that could get you maybe 10 goals a season maybe seven assists a season, but he also was playing in more of a number 10 role. And he also just had more confidence. It was before some bad injuries. And just while he was kind of the top dog at a smaller club, no offense to Everton, rather than just a, a part and a piece in Chelsea. And I, I, I think, I think at the start of the season, Maurizio Sarri was actually rotating those three pretty well. I mean, when everything was going well for Chelsea, I think he was thinking to himself, all right, well, I think there's, there's a there's a difference in all three of these guys and I kind of want to see if one of them can run away with the job and I think you know Barkley had some good good performances he started off you know definitely being a confident uh, attacker Mateo Kovacic like I said was just doing everything else really well and just looked so polished and looked so steady and Loftus-Cheek was probably getting the least amount of time but when he played he was just really damn good and he was scoring and he was making the team so exciting what changed Keon was Loftus-Cheek started to have a back injury that just kept lingering and unfortunately when he was then less available it threw Barkley into the mix more because Chelsea were then starting to really struggle with goals it became a real problem goal scoring was just they were playing well, but once they started struggling, it just showed how reliant they were on Eden Hazard to do everything for them. And Murata was really going off the deep end. So yeah. I think Maurizio Sarri with Loftus-Cheek really more unavailable had to go with Barkley just out of the sheer hope that Barkley could find a little bit of that goal-scoring form. And once again, it wasn't all Kovacic's fault. It was more just because of everybody else and maybe what Chelsea are missing as a whole. It just made Kovacic not the guy. And, you know, I just I I think that as the season has progressed, it has not exactly really presented Kovacic as the true player he is. But I just question I do just question if 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 he is an appropriate fit for a Maurizio Sarri, just the way Sarri plays. I mean, I, I don't think Kovacic is a great fit at left center mid and right center mid. And then in the Regista role, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, you talk about Jorginho. Sorry's not going to bench anybody for Jorginho long term. Jorginho no, is that's his one of his. That's his son. You yeah. know, we, we joke. Jorginho and Gonzalo Higuain, those are his sons. Those are his, and, and you know, Jorginho's his son and his second manager. I mean, you know, so Kovacic is never just going unless Jorginho, you know, God forbid, got a bad injury. Kovacic is never just going to be the starting regista on Chelsea. So he will just be the backup regista, yeah. and he plays it differently than Jorginho. And credit to Kovacic, you know, he doesn't rely as much on being stationary like Jorginho does and just passing. He uses his strength uh, of dribbling and really weaving through people and still being, as they say, press resistant. But 
Uh, I just I, I've questioned the overall fit almost all season long. And some of it is Kovacic's fault because I, I do think that the player he has become at 24 years old is impressive. But, like, can you practice just a little bit more on shooting and assisting? And it's not to say I want you to score and assist a lot, but how about, like, four and four? How about three and three? You know, yeah. three goals, three assists. Is that, is that doable? And then some of it isn't Kovacic's fault just in terms of everything else Chelsea's lacking. So he's been – I would say this. He has been one of the more interesting players to analyze all season long. I mean, if I did polls on Twitter, and I don't, um, I would just every week be asking, Chelsea fans, do you want to sign Kovacic permanently? And I guarantee you from week to week, the answer would be swaying heavily. Yeah, yeah. As is the nature of football fans. I think one of the, I mean, I don't, you, you say you don't do polls, but one of the things you do constantly is just hot takes in general. And uh <laughs> I always admire that because I think I'm always kind of I go on the cautious side. Like sometimes I'll just I'll I'll I'll, I'll maybe form save my thoughts for a podcast or article later, and because uh, I know that one person takes a tweet out of context, it's over. It's just it's just yep. uh, it can turn into a gong show. I, so keep doing that. I I admire you for that. And I sometimes I look at your mention and I'm like oh my my God, Alex is thick skin. Uh, to deal with some of this stuff. Well, actually, it's, it's funny not to get off topic, but yesterday it was the first time. I, I'm not sure I had thick skin. Like I I've saw never, that. I've never taken down post match thoughts after a game. Like never, you know. And and I would say that I usually like if I put eight, nine bullets in a post match thoughts, I'd like to think like seven or eight of them are kind of unanimous, unanimously agreed upon, and yeah. they're not all hot takes. I'm just kind of you know giving the thoughts on each player from the game, but. Um, you know, every once in a while, there's one that people like kind of strongly disagree with, but I stand by it because it was my it was my gut thought. And go with your gut, and I think your your initial thought is usually the right one, especially. But I, I wrote that Conte was quiet, and I, you said you saw it, and it was like, a, Conte was quiet in my eyes because Conte, I'm used to being up and down, up and down, up and down. So I guess if I was allowed more characters on Twitter, I would have wrote like Conte quiet for his own standard. But as, as I then posted it and saw so many people just be like, no, Conte was quality, was quality, was fantastic. I felt like, all right, do I have to explain to each person that maybe he was quiet for my standard? And then I got so many, even from people that like I respect the opinion of, you know, that, that I follow and, and I think highly of their opinion and, uh, for football. I just then started to question like, all right. Maybe I didn't notice him, but maybe he was better than I realized. So, yeah, for the first time, I, I was like, all right, um, maybe I won't be as profound just for this one, one moment. But actually, once I erased it, I got a bunch of people saying, like, no, 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 this is why we love you. Like, don't, you know, don't take that stuff down. But, yeah. You know, I, I, once once your following hits a certain threshold, um, it doesn't matter what you say. It's going to be – things are going to be – take. I, my problem is – I, I'm sure it's not just my problem. I think it's a almost a universal problem with anyone who has a, a decent amount of following for one particular club, especially is that if someone isn't following your work throughout and to kind of understand the context of why you're saying something, they can take they can pull apart one sentence and oh, yeah. make up their mind about what you're trying to say, how they interpret it, and and then it just it's a, it's it's just a it's just fireworks after that. Spot on. I mean, just real quick, like a, a week ago, I wrote. That I'm sure you know, Jorginho has kind of been the scapegoat all season long at Chelsea. Yeah. Like he's been the one, especially for people who don't like sorry, he's been the the 
the bashing, yeah. you know, bag, you know, whatever the punching. Great bag. game yesterday, by the way. Oh, he was phenomenal. He's phenomenal yesterday. But he, you know, he's been overall the punching bag when Chelsea fans get frustrated. And I, I think because you know, if you're gaining followers every day, every week, whatever. Um, I wrote like a week or two ago in post-match thoughts that I didn't think Jorginho had an impact and I totally stand by it just like, you know, for his standard. Yeah. And because the narrative around, like around Chelsea is, Oh my God, Jorginho's the scapegoat. I had a lot of like new followers be like, Oh, here we go with Jorginho and you again, never giving him credit. <laughs> and I, la- I just had to laugh my, my ass off because I was like, do you know me? Like I've been defending Jorginho all season long. So you know, well said by you. If they just catch you at the bat, a bad yeah. moment, or if if they're just sick of an overall narrative, you might get a very interesting and off base reply. Well, Real Madrid has a lot of players like that that are polarizing. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I, I think you could almost go down one through eleven. Um, one of the most polarizing I can remember in a long time is Isco because yes, some people hate his style of play. They don't think he's efficient. They think he's lazy, which is like just straight up not true but there are other players other people who you know think he's a creative genius he should be playing more and there's no like in between for a lot of these people and if if you tweet something about isco one person can interpret that as bashing him and the other person can interpret it as as defending him too much and uh so you just you can't win you just kind of you got to just be yourself at this point and just and just uh tweet your tweet your tweets and tweet your thoughts and and kind of detach yourself from everything else i want to just quickly go back though uh you mentioned Kovacic and and how in the in the Chelsea formation and scheme doesn't really fit, especially alongside Jorginho, who's never going to get benched. I would also say I'm not sure how much Jorginho liked playing with Kovacic, because if you look back at Sari's days at Napoli, which I'm not even sure if we've actually seen Sari ball yet to its full extent at Chelsea. Right. And uh, as a tangent. I, I think it's great that you guys have been patient with him because I think you can kind of start to see the fruits of it now. Where, this, you know, these things, these these styles of play can take time to implement. I think if Sari did what he was doing at Real Madrid, I think he would have been fired by December, if I'm being honest, just because mm-hmm. we're not a patient club. And that's that's a huge pro- problem for us in general, I think. But, uh, I yeah, I also don't think Jorginho really probably like playing with Kovacic in the sense that he was used to playing with Hamzik. And one of the reasons he looked so good at Napoli was that if you watch Hamzik play without the ball, he's constantly making runs to make life easier for Jorginho. He's getting in the final third. He's getting to the half spaces. Sometimes he was actually playing almost as a a striker. And so when Jorginho has that to pick out, because his long ball distribution is outrageously good, um, it just makes life easier for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a real good point about off the ball with Amjic. Which Loftus-Cheek, by the way, has that more than Kovacic does. Absolutely. You know, and and I think a lot of people tried to mirror Sarri's Napoli when when Sarri was appointed manager and thought, all right, who's our Insigne? Who's our Hamšík? And who's our Calajon? And all those players. And Sarri said himself, he doesn't want to mirror the team. But I, I do think when you have Jorginho in the middle, like he was at Napoli, you want to have some traits as the same in the midfield. And Conte to Alon, not that far off. I mean, they're not the same player, but it's, it's you know, I think Conte's done his own version of Alon this season, and he's been good. But I think from Kovacic to Hamšik was just a huge, huge difference for Jorginho. And, yeah, I mean, look at Hamšik. I mean, he's a goal-scoring midfielder especially. But, um, yeah, it's just I, I totally agree there with your assessment of maybe Jorginho 
at least from a playing perspective, who knows from a personal perspective, but from a playing perspective, I, I don't think it, Kovacic was the best player to have on his left. And I totally think Loftus-Cheek is. Um, we have to talk about Hazard because I'm sure most Ramjir fans are tuning into this for Hazard <laughs> specifically. But I yeah. wanted to ask you about the Frankfurt game yesterday because we're linked to a player heavily that scored yes. against you yesterday and Luka Jovic. What did you think of him? Yeah, so I'm really impressed with Luka Jovic. I, I really am because, you know, I, I first said, and, you know, Chelsea fans want him, but we all know Real Madrid are a lot closer to Luka Jovic than Chelsea are. But either way, it was the first opportunity for a lot of Chelsea fans to see Luka Jovic. And uh, I was already fearing that if he didn't have a good game, we'd have so many prisoner of the moment takes. Like, yeah. oh, he's so, you know, watch him one game and he yeah, doesn't play Yeah, he's not up for the like, big games, blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, like, ridiculous. You know, you can't be a prisoner of the moment like that. But I think just the fact that he scored and, and the way he scored, just in a very impressive header. I mean, a really impressive header yeah. where, you know, he was pretty far out from the goal. And he just... He, he torqued his head just perfectly where he got that perfect spin on the ball. He placed it into the, you know, the, the far post and it was just, it was really well taken. Now I would say that Chelsea after the first 20 minutes really did start dominating and especially possession. So you didn't get to see Luka Jovic and everything he has on display. In fact, there was one moment where he did have the ball and, and missed a pretty big pass where David Luiz shocking was, was falling asleep. But um, also, was it David Luiz who was defending them on the header, or it was uh, two of them, right? David Luiz and someone else. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, technically both Andreas Christensen and David Luiz. Right. David Luiz was closer. Uh, you know, you can't really claim that zonal marking there. It was from live play. It wasn't a set piece. So yeah, I mean, Christensen and David Luiz and Aspilicueta has got to close down better. They all should have done better. But see, that's my thing. Is like. I'll be on David Luiz all all season long when he is near a goal, like always. But if that was a Chelsea player who scored that header, I would have been like great header. And I wouldn't have paid attention to the opposition defender who needed to do better. So full credit to Luka Jovic. And the impressive part about Luka Jovic is he's just kind of – he looks like a complete striker. You know, just in watching him play, uh, at least on highlights. But I've watched a handful of Frankfurt games this season because I've been interested. And he, he can score with the right, he can score with the left, he can score with the head just a confident player. And, you know, I've definitely been a viewer of some strikers lately with a lack of confidence. And Murata is, you know, the one that really comes to mind. But even seeing, like, Iguain just in London and just out of his comfort zone, he just looks a little off. And, you know, I I saw Fernando Torres be a shell of himself in a Chelsea shirt. And it's just, I'm kind of used to seeing strikers with, with ability, but not necessarily the right mentality. And, Luka Jovic so far looks like he has that right mentality. I mean, he, he totally does. And, um, you know, that would be a great get for Real Madrid. I know we're not going to talk a lot about Benzema, but Benzema is one of my favorite players of all time. And I'm so happy with the resurgence that Benzema is having. Um, but obviously, I know he's up there in age. So, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing if you guys uh, split time between Jovic and Benzema. Well, I think what also makes him so impressive is that you alluded to the point that Chelsea eventually pretty much control this game they had a lot of possession uh, I don't think they, they created a lot of chances but they also generated enough to to win this game um, and on the flip side Frankfurt really didn't create much and I think maybe that's why he's so impressive also is that he can not really have much of the ball Frankfurt can create not many chances in a game like this and he can instead of getting cold he he turns into a, he turns a very low xg chance into 
a goal. I mean, the, the degree of yep. difficulty on that header. And that's what Real Madrid essentially need, need at this point is they need someone to overperform their XG because... Yep. They, uh, that's you know, what... It, yeah. Yeah, not to cut you off. That's what I think makes players special. Uh, yeah. I think what makes players special is they could... And I'm not saying he was having a bad game, but they can be completely uninvolved. <clears throat> and then the moment they have to impact a game, they capitalize. Yeah. 100%. Um, so, obviously... You, you're a huge Hazard fan, I, and that's probably underselling it. Um, I don't think <laughs> I anyone got, loves him the way you do on Earth, yeah, maybe apart from his Hazard, own family. Um, my PJs on, yeah. You got Hazard PJs on right now? Yeah, you got Can it. Can you tweet a picture of it after this podcast? <laughs> if it were true, I would. <laughs> okay. Uh, I just think that, well, first of all, I'll say this. It's been an absolute pleasure watching him play week in, week out. And um, I think what he has done in a team that has had trouble creating chances and is surrounded with players like, well, for many of, much of this season, either no striker or Morata or an out-of-form out Higuain um, or Giro, who's, I think, actually been pretty good, if you ask me, all things considered. But And then Willian and Pedro. Pedro was, at this stage of his career, is, I think, a good player, but not one you can rely on week in, week out. Willian is an inconsistent and uh, in a team like that, like the amount that he's Hazard is expected to do, and he comes through game in game out, is just super impressive to me. And I know that it's not always the solution or the answer to kind of be like, oh, how how do we score more goals in a team that can't score? Just put Hazard by Hazard, and everything will be perfect. That's not how the world works. But the fact that he's able to do that. And uh, just makes him so impressive to me. And, you know, not that we should take it too seriously, but that team of the year that didn't involve him was uh, <laughs> was absolutely ridiculous. He's He's been unbelievable this season. Um, anything to add to that, in like in terms of just what he brings to the table? I mean, we'll get into other stuff, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, I obviously think the world of him and I just, I, I think you're spot on in terms of what he's had around him or lack thereof. The fact that he has 16 goals and 13 assists in league and pretty much has been directly involved in half of Chelsea's goals this season, that's astounding. I mean, it's astounding that he has 13 assists with this Chelsea team around him. And it kind of embodies his whole time at Chelsea, where except for a good season from Juan Mata when he first arrived as Ard, and a couple good ones from Diego Costa and Cesc Fabregas, really, Azard has played with just not even close to enough talent, especially compared to stars on other Premier League teams. I mean, the, the game plan for the opposition manager when they face Chelsea is so predictable, and it can be effective, but sometimes it's not because Azar's that good. But it's, okay, throw two, three, four guys at Azard and see if someone else can beat us. And sometimes, because Azard's a really damn good passer, someone else does beat them. And sometimes, because Azard's a really damn good dribbler, Azard also beats them. But, I mean, it's just, it just it makes you think, what could he have done in his Chelsea career, which has been brilliant? I mean, brilliant. I think, I think for his seven seasons in the Premier League, he's been, you know, he had one bad season. But I think he's been consistently the best player, if that makes any sense. Meaning, like, he's always been in the conversation as the best player, but the other people have changed. It hasn't always been the same person he's been compared to. And it's just, what could he have done if he was on a Manchester City with their talent or a Liverpool with their talent? Or, you know, United's been a mess, but United still have had better attackers. So what could he have done 
uh, with with all that talent around him. You see him on Belgium, which is a, a more talented attacking team, and he's just as good for Belgium. I mean, he's phenomenal. He's been phenomenal lately for Belgium. So, I mean, I just think he's he's clearly, in my opinion, a top five player in the world. And we still haven't necessarily even seen the best of him because Chelsea have, in a way, held him back with the players they have chosen not to acquire. So, I mean, I have so many questions for you from this Hazard thing. Um, I remember when we first recorded the, a podcast earlier this season, when we talked about Hazard, I think it was around the same time where one of our writers, Omarvin, wrote an article and kind of went through some stats and, and came to the conclusion that it wouldn't make sense to sign Hazard. And a lot of us agreed with him, and I did, and I still do. I think, I mean, it's we have hindsight now that we didn't have, but the, this is the reality of the situation a few months ago was that he would have been over $200 million. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Real Madrid needed just a clinical goal scorer in a post-Ronaldo era. And it had a bunch of creators. It had Asensio. It had Isco. Um, it had, we didn't know Modric was going to drop off the way he did after the World Cup. So it didn't seem like an urgent need. Now you fast forward, it makes more sense because his price is going to be a bit lower. And mm-hmm. obviously his contract's going to run down, I, th- I, believe, I believe, next summer. Yep. Uh, so that makes him a little bit cheaper now. And... Asensio hasn't had a great year. Isco has really been out of the team for the majority of the year. We're really not sure what version of Isco exists now. Um, so it seems to make more sense now. But one question that a lot of Real Madrid fans is this. Uh, one of the very few bright spots this season was Vinicius Jr. And yes. his best position from what we've seen is from the left side exactly where Hazard cuts in from. Can the two coexist, and can Hazard play a different role? Yes, yes. Now, is Eden Hazard's best position left wing? Yes, it's certainly where he's played the most in his career. But I, I think, first of all, it's unfair if someone were to say, "Well, yeah, but yeah, he's still Eden Hazard no matter what." But like you know, false nine, he's not great, and you know, he, oh, he really is only Eden Hazard at left wing. First of all, when he mm-hmm. plays false nine. It's in the Premier League, and and I'm not saying he'd be playing that for you, but I'm just saying like it's in the Premier League, and he's asked to do a very specific job, and he's still been good at it. It's just you know it's really cutting off a lot of his a lot of his brilliance. But yeah, Vinicius, like I've been thinking about that too. Is one of the the main players on Real Madrid they wouldn't want to change for next year would be Vinicius Junior at left wing, and I get that. Mm. But here's the thing: is Hazard when the game starts. He starts at left wing, but Eden Hazard's best position is no position. I mean, it really is no position. It's finding the ball, creating, you know, to the point where if he's really causing so much havoc, opposition managers have had to actually assign a player to man mark him because he's just so damn good at popping up on the left, popping up on the right, popping up in the middle, showing for it deep, you know, sometimes even being, you know, further forward and making some good runs. I mean, his best position is no position. So, a damn good manager, and I think Zidane will certainly know how to use Eden Hazard. We'll figure out a way that Vinicius Jr. and Eden Hazard can completely coexist. Does it mean that one is technically starting at right wing, but they interchange? You know, I don't know if Vinicius Jr. is, is far enough along where he can interchange as effectively. But I, I just I just think because of maybe what Hazard brings and maybe not what Vinicius Jr. brings. Like if Vinicius Jr. has to stay more at left wing, that's fine because I think – I mean, I've always wondered. I, I've always wondered how would Hazard be as a camp? How would he be as a number ten? I mean, I think he'd be pretty damn good. You know, he, he if he has two very capable 
holding mids or just mids who can do uh, a defensive job behind him. And I know Casemiro is one of those guys who can do a, a good job behind him. I mean, Hazard's not going to have to worry about covering for his fullback if he's at a number 10 position. Hazard's not going to have to worry about necessarily marking a, a certain player. He's going to be able to look to his left, look to his right. And, and Keon, I mean, he's one of the most balanced dribblers, as I'm sure you know. Um, you know, he can dribble on left and right just as effectively, and he doesn't care where he goes. So it's like I, I could I could see Azard at the number 10 position and Vinicius Jr. at the left wing causing all sorts of trouble for the opposition. I think it just depends. Does the manager agree? Does Zinedine Zidane agree? And the way Zidane has spoke of Azard and the way Azard has spoke of Zidane, I think they could figure it out. I certainly do. But I totally understand the Vinicius Jr. thing because you don't want to acquire a player in Eden Hazard and then not be able to play one of your brightest spots from this last season. I think that's an interesting point to bring up. And I, if you look at Hazard's, some of Hazard's goals and just like really incisive moments this season, he starts, he can pick up the ball in a, I guess in a quote-unquote number 10 role where he's kind of in the central channels and maybe just in front of the, the like, Jorginho, kind of that space um, and in between Kante and Kovacic or whoever's there. And he can he can dribble past players and then get into the box and shoot. There was a big game recently. I don't, now I'm trying, I'm blanking which one it was, um, where he, he basically starts at the top, he dribbles through and he, he gets into the box and he scores. Yeah, that was incredible. That was against... Yeah. It was a big game for Chelsea. The uh, the opponent was West Ham, but right. it was a Monday. Yeah. It was a Monday night game, and yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, every every just... game is a big game for Chelsea because they have to stay in the top four. Yep. Uh, yep. And he, that may have been only one of his goals in that game, right? Did he score two? I can't remember now. Uh, that game, it was just one. Was he just had one. a brace. I think he had, he had a brace too, the game before. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is is Hazard in that whenever he's in the middle. See, the reason why I think he's so damn good is because, A, I mean, how many times does he get fouled in a game? And the last thing you want to do is foul Azard anywhere near the top of the 18. And you see a lot of defenders just so cautious to put in a leg because he's never looking to go down, but he always is ready to draw the foul. And he doesn't take the free kicks, but, you know, his teammates are licking their chops when, when he draws a foul there. But, Keon, the other thing is if he played the number 10 role, he loves to play off of a striker. I mean, he loves to play off of a striker. And it's a shame he hasn't had more strikers to play off of. But if you had him in the number 10 role and he was consistently picking up the ball, you know, let's say 10 yards from the top of the 18, he would have so many options to play to his left, play to his right, but to play off of a striker. And, you know, we talk about Luka Jovic, but I personally think Azar would have great chemistry with Benzema. I mean, I really, really do. I think so, I think too. I think they think very uh, similarly. Like I, I really think they're on. They would be on the same page quite a bit. And Benzema is more than capable of kind of having maybe a, a cheeky backheel pass to Azard, and, and as is Azard to him. And um, yeah, I just I don't know where he would start when the game started. Like if he threw out a formation where what what he would technically be at. But oh man, I think he would do absolute havoc in a number ten role in a Real Madrid kit. That it could also be kind of morph into like an Isco role from sixteen seventeen, where Zidane had Modric, Kroos, and Casemiro in midfield. Yes, and then Isco was this kind of roaming figure that would kind of pop up as an outlet. He would bind the attack together. That could work. I I agree with you. I think he would, given the nature of like who Benzema's linked well with in the past, and also how well he's been 
linked with Vinicius this season. I think him and Hazard would would get along really well. Um, we're almost out of time, so one one more player I want to talk to you about. Your favorite, <laughs> your favorite of the three. My guy, Thibaut yeah. Courtois. Yeah. What is uh? How do you? You're still pretty angry at him, eh? Well, no, no. I mean, it's disguised. It's disguised as anger, but it's really more banter. I mean, yeah. you know, it's just become it's become fun, and I try not to do it too much at the expense of him anymore. I mean, it's it's hard when a clip goes viral of him just completely messing up and or getting nutmegged, or getting nutmegged, and it's important. And and obviously, there's always going to be people who are like, "Bro, you're so obsessed. You're so you know." And it's just like sometimes i respond and it's just like come on like reptiles out is a way of life you know, like, you know just something you had something. what did you have hashtag reptiles out on something recently that had nothing to do with courtois and i laughed i can't remember what it was now um yeah i did just the other day i think um oh there, there's a chelsea fan channel that really um did a very offensive post when um, oh that's right yeah yeah, yeah. when Jan, when Jan Vertonghen, uh, went down with the head yeah yeah so. yeah that was yeah, disgusting. so that you rightfully called them reptiles yeah, exactly. I think I've never used it better, to be honest. Um, but, you know, the reptiles out thing has just been more of a banter thing. It's also something that, like, I planned to stop a long time ago. And when I stopped doing it, people, like, still, I, I don't know why, but they were like, no, please end your videos with that. So it just also just gave off this impression that, you know, I had this just just lingering anger at Courtois. And the anger is gone. I mean, the anger is totally gone. Um, even if Keppa had an abysmal season, I, I wouldn't have more anger at Courtois. Do I like how Courtois has proceeded in his career? No, not at all. Because like the way he left Chelsea was not the only really bad mark in his career. I mean, he left his club ganked the same exact way. Um, I'm not going to go through his all of his mishaps in his career. If you follow me on Twitter, you've probably heard them by now. But it's been more of like just who he's been as as a person in his professional football career. Um, I had Christophe Terreur on, who's a very credible Belgian journalist, kind of is the guy when you want to talk about Azard or Courtois or any Belgian, knows both of them personally. I had him on my podcast recently, and he even backed me up. He's like, Courtois would walk over dead bodies. You know, he doesn't have the same feelings towards Courtois that I do, but he's like, that's just who Courtois is. He, he's just that type of guy. He's ruthless. Um, it's actually why, you know, he was so perfect for Mourinho. Um, he's just kind of that type of guy and, you know, it probably won't change. Um, but Keon, actually, I can't believe I'm saying this, but on like a personal level, I kind of feel bad for him. Like I, I really do. And, you know, um, <laughs> I know it may not show, but I, I, this is not the way he wanted this season to go from no. two perspectives. I mean, he didn't have a great season, obviously. Real Madrid didn't have a great season. So actually, I guess it's three perspectives. And he, he hasn't looked any better in Chelsea fans' eyes as well. And his name has been, you know, I know I contribute to this a little bit, but but even without me, I mean, you know, Chelsea fans have just, they did not even feel good, even before I ever really picked up on it. Chelsea fans didn't even feel good the way he kind of just went on from Petr Cech and, and, and didn't necessarily... I think take over that goalkeeper role in the most classy way, just kind of being like, yeah, I should be the starter. And really just, it was also, you know, I don't think he was as gracious as he could have been. And also like Petr Cech was a tough act to follow too, from a classy perspective. So I just think Courtois also has been, I mean, I know, I mean, I, I have a, I have a small source that has confirmed that Courtois has been 
not pleased lately and, and saddened by how he's been viewed all over. Um, so, you know, is that going to make me ease up from a reptiles out if there's a viral clip? No. But am I done talking about Courtois as as a person, a professional? Yes. Well, he left Chelsea with basically no, no, really a lot, a lot of bad feelings. Chelsea yeah. fans not fond of him. He came to Madrid, Atletico Madrid trashed his uh, little plaque he had outside the stadium and yeah. and throwing rats and stuff, toy rats. And then, and Real Madrid fans are, I won't speak for myself, but a lot of Real Madrid fans just are quite, quite harsh on him. Um, now, I don't think well, he's been I, particularly good, but I also don't think the season is on him. But from his perspective, I, I he's in a situation now where he doesn't really have anyone supporting him. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this is my thing is, is I, and I know, you know, I'm never going to bash somebody specifically if, if I'm bashing them for wanting to be with their kids. You know, his reason about wanting right. to go back to Madrid was totally justifiable. Yeah. Um, it was just how he went about it. And, you know, even since he's left Real Madrid, he's kind of told the story of how he, uh, sorry, even since he's arrived at Real Madrid, he's kind of told the story about how he left at Chelsea not correctly or not truthfully in many people's eyes, especially Chelsea who have kind of refuted what Courtois has said and that he did kind of, you know, go back on his word when he maybe said that they had an understanding the whole entire time. Um, it's just been about the way he's gone about it. But I ask you as a Real Madrid fan, do you get this feeling from Courtois? Like, oh, he's he's a player that's easy to get behind. Or, oh, you know, I, I just love his personality. Or, oh, he's just so passionate. Or, oh... You know, that's my keeper, you know, and, and no, it's a, he's kind of it's just a, there. Right. And it's a rough, you know, obviously prayers with Iker Casillas. I mean, I know that, you know, the whole football world was saddened to hear what happened with him. But, you know, from an Iker perspective, it's like and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like there's that love with Iker. You know, there's that there's that connectability. There's like Iker is Iker's that player that you just want to say, like, that's my keeper. And with Courtois, I just I never felt like that. I I don't disagree with that at all. I, he's kind of there. He doesn't have a very strong personality, um, nor does he seem to get very emotional about things. He did have a quote that kind of threw Gareth Bale under the bus earlier this yes, season. Yes, I saw that about not not showing up for a dinner or something. I don't know if that was the exact... The dinner thing, it was just a matter of him and Cruz didn't show up because they, they're not integrated to the Spanish culture. Their bedtime is pretty early, whereas Spain, people eat dinner at like midnight. Right. Uh, but then there was... Something about I can't remember the exact quote. I don't want to butcher it now, but he did say something that wasn't the most flattering thing for Gareth. Um, really quickly, we have like maximum two minutes. Uh, Sari said something really interesting after one of Chelsea's games, where he basically submitted to the fact that Hazard was leaving, and he said something along the lines of, "When Hazard leaves, we can't replace him like for like because there is no other Hazard in the world. We're gonna have to come up with a system." that that's different what do you think that is who do you think that is like what i know it's almost impossible to predict but what do you think that even looks like yeah i mean i think it's as you said it's more than one person it's callum hudson adoy once he's back and fit definitely probably playing more left wing he mm. played a lot of right wing this season which is in his natural position just because Hazard exists and when william plays that's where he's better but i think it's hudson adoy getting a lot of minutes left wing Christian Pulisic, uh, who, of course, will be coming over to Chelsea, playing both wings, left wing and right wing. 
And if Chelsea have the ability to make moves this summer, and we still don't know because their transfer ban, their appeal is being heard, if they have the ability to make moves this summer, they they probably will go for a winger. But I think it's important to just note that that winger is not a direct replacement for Eden Hazard. It's a collective, you know, mission to replace him with more players. And you know, Keon, maybe I think Chelsea will definitely experience some big hiccups without Hazard. Maybe in the long run, it will make them a little bit more stable because they're not going to have dependency on one player to bail them out. But it's really mm. up to the board. I mean, it's really up to the board to supply, if they can, to supply Maurizio Sarri with the right players. Because, you know, if it really is Callum Hudson-Odoi that's just supposed to be expected to just fill in for Hazard, I think the world of Hudson-Odoi is going to be a star. But that's just Hazard is just too important from so many different angles mm. to replace him with one player. So I think maybe it'll be a step back. But if they can do it the right way maybe they can take some steps forward in the future, but he will be very, very missed. Well, I hope they look at the Real Madrid situation and kind of learn from it, if that, if that is even applicable. But just losing such a powerful figure. Because uh, in, in a way, Asensio was our Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, right. Where he was the one who was starting all of a sudden and playing every game. And it was just, I think it, it just overwhelmed him to a point where he just regressed into a shell. And he kind of got better like in the second half of the season uh, around the Ajax games, but, um, but, but, I, I, for your sake, I think you're going to be putting. If Callum Hudson Odoi starts missing a couple open nets next season, you're going to have your Twitter hands full. So good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, I, you know, and and maybe honestly, I mean, I hate that he got injured. Um, you know, I would, <laughs> I hate it. I mean, trust me, I hate it. I'm still not over it. But in a way, if if he's a little late to start the season. I think it actually sets it up well for Callum Hudson-Odoi because hmm. then Chelsea can't go into the season being that risky and ballsy with an 18-year-old. They have to have maybe another assurance in place. Once again, if they can't make moves, maybe they can't really, but they'll have to you know, put a lot of weight on Pulisic's shoulders and you know, if they can't make hmm. moves, inevitably Willian will be there. So um, maybe the injury, although you, know, you never want to mess around with an Achilles injury, those really suck. Maybe it could eventually be a blessing in disguise in terms of him being eased in next season. Right, right. That makes sense. Uh, Alex Goldberg, it's always a pleasure chatting football with you. It's so much fun. Um, You're one of the best in the business and certainly in terms of Chelsea. If anyone's looking to follow one guy, it's it's you. Um, Go to patreon.com slash the byline. It's where you can get access to Alex's podcast. He also has the byline YouTube channel and uh, check out his work. Uh, at Alex Goldberg underscore on Twitter. Alex, thank you so much for doing this, my man. Uh, I really appreciate Keon. You're one of the nicest people in the business, so I, I really appreciate you uh, just always being so gracious and supportive of me and towards me. And uh, last thing I have to say is Kareem Benzema, one of the most underrated careers of all time. There you go. What a way to end the podcast. Thanks, Alex. Take care, Keon. <laughs>